This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. Migrant workers has been a key topic throughout the pandemic and is going to continue to be a key topic. Some of the things that we've learned as we've gone through this pandemic will hopefully help to create a better scenario for workers who are coming here to help make sure that we've got things like fresh fruits and vegetables on our tables that come from local spots. Oh, the taste There is a difference. There is a difference. But we know that we have seen outbreaks at farms. And we know that we are still seeing outbreaks if you go down toward Leamington and Windsor. And we want to see what can be done about this. And something that was done this past week was done in Huron-Perth. And Dr. Miriam Klassen joins us now. Dr. Klassen is the Medical Officer of Health for Huron-Perth. And Dr. Klassen, we really appreciate you taking some time for us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Dr. Klassen, why don't we just kind of look at this situation, because keeping everybody in this province, in this country safe, should be number one throughout this pandemic, and in many ways, I hope it is, but you decided to issue a public health order concerning migrant workers without going through the entire thing. What was it you were hoping to do? Well... You know, we know that congregate settings are at higher risk for COVID-19 outbreaks. We've all seen that in long-term care home and now also on migrant farms. And we also know that there may be additional barriers for uh, temporary foreign workers, such as uh, language, lack of access to health care. Um, and it's important to know that proper self-isolation and public health measures were already part of public health guidance provided to owners and operators. Um, but this order underscores the critical importance of implementing these measures. So I do want to say this order doesn't come as a result of issues that we identified with our farms in here on Perth, but rather serves as a legal mechanism to ensure um, that the measures are followed and thereby ensures the health and safety of workers is protected. And that also we can intervene more swiftly if needed. As you mentioned, farm workers are an essential part of our food supply chain um, and Given what we've seen a little bit south of us and given um, a, a recommendation from the Chief Medical Officer of Health to really consider Section 22 and reviewing everything we had done, um, as well as the government's three-point plan that includes uh, ongoing and expanded testing, access to employee benefits and supports, and new public health guidance, um, we felt that um, issuing this order would also allow us to um, take measures in a, in a more swift um, manner if needed. Love the proactive nature of it. Being proactive, we don't see that enough. We've got a reactive world around here, and you're being proactive, so thank you for that. What reaction have you received since issuing it? Well, we did, of course, notify our owners and operators ahead of the time and let them know that we were planning to do this and uh, what our intent was, which was to protect the workers and the residents in here on Perth and also thereby our wider community, while also recognizing the importance of the food supply chain. So, I mean, we did receive some calls and we were able to answer their questions, um, but for the most part, I guess they weren't um, taken by surprise as we gave them advance notice as well as the municipalities. All right. Well, when we look at at carrying this out and what you would be allowed to do, like you say, you wanted to have some legal opportunities if needed, 
and that's something that would now be put in place. And so when you look at, at what those opportunities would be, uh, how, how do they come about, I guess, when we're dealing with accountability of farms or, or inspection of farms? Yeah, so, I mean, first of all, um, as part of routine practice, even prior to COVID, um, each living quarter of which we are aware that houses temporary foreign workers does receive an initial inspection by a public health inspection every year, and that also happened this year. And this year we were aware already of COVID-19. And additionally, each farm that we're aware of um, was contacted by an inspector for discussion, and they received an information uh, package early on. And uh, any updates are provided as they be- become available. Um, so while we had the mandate to follow up on complaints prior to this order, uh, you know, so if we received a, plain, a complaint, we could follow up and then issue direction, but that can be a lengthy process. This order now facilitates laying a charge, not, not that that would be our first choice, but it does take out the time of, of um, issuing an order and all of those steps. Um, as well, we could coordinate with the Ministry of Labour more quickly. Um, so we're able to intervene more more swiftly, which is especially important when trying to contain uh, COVID-19. So if we received a complaint now, inspectors would follow up on or could refer to the Ministry of Labour. Um, they, we could uh, include an inspection of the premises. It could be done jointly, depending on the nature of the complaint. So, um, And, of course, inspections can, can be carried out at any time if there's an outbreak. We're talking with Dr. Miriam Klassen, Medical Officer of Health for Huron-Perth, and we're talking about an order that was issued this week with regard to the health and safety of migrant workers, not because of what was happening in Huron-Perth, but just to set a standard, set some groundwork so that things can be enacted and things can be done if they need to be done. Now, I guess... In talking with farms and, and in talking with the operators of those farms, are you hoping that, that that in itself will just have them saying, okay, how, how are we doing here? Let's, let's take a, a nice little inspection of our own, or are you satisfied that maybe they had already done that? You know, it, our interactions to date have been positive, and we feel that um, for the most part, farm owners and operators have really understood the risk here um, to their own health, to their farm operations, to their employees that, that come and, um, you know, have wanted to, to take all the steps that are necessary. Um, and, you know, as I say, to be sure, to underscore the critical importance of this at this time, to make sure that in case we're not aware of a farm, you know, we've, we've now, um, posted the information publicly and made it um, and provided the direction uh, that way. So what we're hoping, as you say, is to prevent problems by ensuring that everyone clearly understands exactly what their responsibilities are at this time. Well, here's hoping that other areas take on the same sort of idea and help to have that proactive approach so that we can keep everybody safe and we can take a look at all of these situations and make sure they are what they're supposed to be. Dr. Klassen, before we let you go, masks, that's been the topic for a little while now. And yesterday, as you well know, in Middlesex, London, we had an order that is going to go into effect on July the 20th that will have masks mandatory for close contact specific spots how much discussion have you been doing and kind of what are your feelings about masking in here on perth 
Yeah, I mean, this, as you say, this is a very timely topic right now. Lots and lots of discussions at various levels, local, regional, provincial, um, are happening and we've been a part of. For here on Perth at this time, um, given the potential adverse impacts of a, of a Section 22, and, and some of those adverse impacts that I'm talking about are, are around equity, equity in access, um, equity in enforcement, because we know in, enforcement has disproportionately a, affected um, ra- racialized and Indigenous persons. Um, you know, there's a history of that in, in Ontario, for, for example, with um, something like cannabis or traffic violations. Um, given that, that there is still a concern that masking might create a false sense of security and we don't want people to to stop doing the fundamental approaches here. Um, and given the scarcity of, you know, medical masks that, that we, we do want to preserve those. Um, and given the, so those are the, the potential adverse impacts. And we've had a low rate of cases and we currently have no outbreaks. And, and the evidence uh, that I have seen um, is, is still a little weak when it comes to the benefit on a population level of using non-medical masks. So for all those reasons, it's a complex issue. I'm not prepared at this time to issue a Section 22. Um, I, I, and I, 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 may, I will continue to monitor and I may, that, that position may change. Um, but I do see that there is a much local interest in increasing the uptake of mask use as an added layer of protection to the fundamentals. And I, and I just would want to underscore that the fund- fundamentals still remain staying home when ill, which includes a flip side, right, which includes that workplaces need to provide support for employees that call in sick and let them stay home ill. And we still need to think about how to make sure that people, you know, that need a paycheck can stay home when they're ill. Um, continuing to limit contacts, like we all need to still think about um, do I really need to make two trips to the grocery store this week or could I take one? Um, we, we need to be careful and choosy when, when deciding on our socialization. I mean, we could go out maybe and meet different groups of friends several times this month and go out to restaurants frequently or could we cut back on that? Um, when we do go out maintaining our, you know, groups of uh, our two-meter distance, meeting outside, frequent hand hygiene, like all those things are the fundamentals. An added layer is definitely um, masking for source protection. So it's something I do to protect you and you do to protect me. Um, And we're really exploring how we can increase that uptake by working together with our local municipalities and businesses and other organizations. We have certain service clubs, for instance, um, addressing access by making masks and right, like how can we make masks available? And I think we'd like to work with businesses and organizations to provide them with strong uh, public, because it is a strong recommendation of ours to, to use a mask in indoor spaces, so to provide additional uh, direction, education, support on how to make that happen. Um, but at this time, uh, we're not prepared to move forward with a, a section. Order. Well, that sums up a lot of things and gives us a nice reminder for a lot of other things as well. Dr. Klassen, thank you for what you do, and thank you for the work that you have done. You're doing a fantastic job in Huron, Perth, spreading the message, and uh, we really appreciate the time here. And thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye. That is Dr. Miriam Klassen, Huron, Perth, Medical Officer of Health. So being proactive on migrant workers, issuing an order, saying here's what we need to have and essentially bringing the topic to the forefront.
And you well know. I mean, if here here's an example. Let's say you hear, and this is not, I'm just making this up. This is not a thing. But let's say you hear that Canada Revenue Agency is going to be auditing 95% of its tax forms this year that it receives. What if you hear that? What are you going to do? You're going to make sure that every I and T is dotted. Not that anybody's cheating on their taxes, but you're going to make sure that everything is done perfectly. You know, you're, you're going to make sure that you have, oh yeah, I, I made that $20 donation. I, I should have that in there. Or, you know, or I had that $20 donation I found in the bottom of the file cabinet that's now too old to submit. I was going to submit it anyway and see. You're not going to do that. You know what I mean? Little things like that. Same sort of thing here. If somebody says, hey, we're watching you, you're apt to be behaving better, right? Leave the room with a five-year-old. Just for a second, see what happens. That's where Crayon gets on the wall. We heard some great optimism on some things, some great proactivity on some things from Dr. Miriam Klassen, who is the Medical Officer of Health for Huron-Perth. And if you didn't get a chance to hear that, we'll make sure that it's on the podcast, which you can find at 980CFPL. .ca, or you can find on the Curious Cast Network. And our next guest is always positive. I love talking with him. This is the best news for a Friday, even if we are dealing with problems at Facebook. Please welcome tech journalist Carmi Levy to London Live. Carmi, thanks for brightening our day just by being here. Oh, you brighten my day by having me on. Thanks so much, Mike. Well, we get to dig into maybe some nastier details than talking about, hey, look, the sky is blue and the sun is shining, but (laughs) Facebook and some ad boycotts, how much of an impact might this have on Facebook overall? Well, we already saw um, earlier in the week their stock price was off significantly to to the point that uh, it erased something like billions of dollars worth of revenue. They were about 10% uh, off before they bounced back, which means investors were sending a message too, saying, we are concerned that if this continues, uh, the company isn't going to be worth as much as it is now. Uh, Facebook, you got to do something about it. It has since bounced back mostly. Uh, but I think the message has been sent. You know, you got about 400 very large advertisers, Starbucks, Microsoft, Honda, Coca-Cola, uh, Verizon, um, all five major Canadian banks, the North Face, Patagonia. And they're all basically saying, Facebook, you're not doing enough to clamp down on hate speech. Uh, you've made it really easy for, say, white supremacist groups to do what they want to do. You have not uh, policed them. You have not stopped them from spread- spreading hatred. You have not done enough to protect regular folks like us from this kind of speech. And now is the time to deal with it as Black Lives Matter rages across the U.S. Now's the time for us to have that conversation about what role social media companies, social media apps and platforms like Facebook play in ensuring that we are not exposed to this kind of content, uh, that this kind of content is clamped down just like it's been clamped down on in every other platform. It's got to start happening in social media, and the time to do that is now. Well, that, that's a great message right there. Now, maybe we need to understand a little bit about how Facebook advertising 
works because let's kind of look at a, a different form of advertising. Let's take let's take radio and TV advertising. Let's pretend that I sell hammers and nails in a store and I want to advertise on radio or TV. I will talk with a sales representative and we'll work out what a campaign is going to be like. It's a nice process and then eventually commercials are created and they are then produced and then they go to air. So in other words, there are a lot of people looking at something saying, okay, th this is what you want to advertise. All right, here's what we're going to do. And if at any point somebody had a question with it, they would raise their hand and say, well, let's take a look at what, what you're doing here. How is it that Facebook and its advertising comes out differently where someone can just kind of slap something up, it seems, and there it goes? Well, you know, Mike, it all comes down to control. And I say this as somebody, I've worked in radio, I've worked in media, and I've sold advertising as well. So I'm intimately familiar with that process. And basically, if you are an advertiser and you advertise with a local radio station, local television station, whatever it is, you have total control from start to finish. And you're right, lots of people are watching this ad, making sure that it meets standards. There are Canadian broadcast standards that have to be adhered to. Uh, and if they don't, um, you know, they, they will get called back. And, and then, of course, once the commercial runs, you have absolute control over when it runs and where. So in other words, it can be on this program at this time next to this content. Facebook is very different. Facebook, you don't deal with a, a sales representative. Facebook is all online. Not In many cases, you do up an ad and a human will never see it or touch it. It'll just appear on the platform. And it's, it's what we like to call algorithmically driven. In other words, computers decide, a software decides, uh, an algorithm decides, where your ad appears in someone's Facebook feed. Uh, and it, it, so on the, on the plus side, it targets. So for example, someone who wouldn't normally be interested in, say, um, adult retirement communities, well, if that's the demographic they're in, it'll appear in their feed. But someone who isn't interested in them, you're not going to pay for the ad to appear there. The risk there is you can't control 100% where it ends up. So maybe your ad is going to end up online next to a post from a white supremacist group next to a Holocaust denier next to uh, like who, who knows, but basically your brand could be compromised because you can't control where it goes. And so advertisers are saying to Facebook, we don't trust your platform anymore. We don't trust that you're looking out for our best interests. You lost control of the script. Haters have taken over. We don't want our ads to be part of that. And we're going to pull our ads from your platform until you finally do something about it. We've been complaining about it for years. It's time for Facebook to act a little bit and regain some of that control that's been lacking, missing for so long. Carmi Levy joining us, tech journalist, as we talk about an ad boycott on Facebook for Facebook ads of some pretty major companies that Carmi has listed. Carmi, how easy would it be for Facebook to make some changes and say, okay, they're obviously not going to hire a bunch of humans to do this, but how easy would it be for them to try and fix this so that you didn't have the opportunity for things like hate speech to make it into ads? I keep uh, thinking of the Manhattan Project because there's a, you know we don't see it, but there's a lot of technology behind uh, the scenes that makes Facebook act the way it does. Uh, and two and a half billion people are signing into it on a regular basis. So, you know, you know, to, for, you know, you'll never be able to hire enough human beings to, to track all of this traffic to find the hate speech out there. Facebook, of course, is hiring thousands of moderators to be part of this process, but uh, they'll never get to a point where they can scale. They use what's called, they use software. 
They use algorithms that scan what we post on Facebook, both uh, text, video, audio, any form of content, and it looks for patterns. And if it sees something that's disturbing, it flags it, and then it sends it to these human moderators. So, you know, what could Facebook do? Well, they could spend a lot more than they have been on making sure that they've got enough people, that they're well-trained, and that the software is as good as it gets. They need better artificial intelligence, better machine learning, better algorithms to find this stuff and root it out, but at the same time, also not falsely uh, identify stuff that you and I post legitimately as racist material. So you sort of have to balance. You want to rein in the bad stuff, but you also don't want to be too heavy-handed. You don't want to censor too much. You still want to allow people to use Facebook as they always have. That takes a lot of technology, a lot of money, and it's a lot of time. And unfortunately, Facebook's been working on it for years. Mark Zuckerberg's been promising he's going to do better. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, is the more you invest in that, the harder it becomes to advertise on Facebook. The more it impacts their advertising business, Facebook doesn't really want to be in the business of censoring. They just want to post as many ads as possible. And unfortunately, <laughs> it means there's a lot of hate speech because of it. Well, Carmi, thank you for explaining how all of this works. You always help us to understand a whole, understand things a whole lot better. So have a great weekend. Keep safe, my friend, and we'll talk soon. Great chatting with you, Mike. Thank you. That's Carmi Levy, tech journalist. When beaches began to open, we knew we were taking some chances because you have to depend on everybody using common sense. And Jacqueline Carbone, one of our producers here at Global News Radio, she told a great story about being on a beach on Canada Day. Told it yesterday. And that story was they had kind of drawn out an area where this was their area to be on the beach. And she said somebody came down and plunked a cooler right down. They said, hey, you know, we made a, made like an area, made a line here. Your, your thing's on, on our line. And the people who plunked down the cooler really close to them kind of took offense to that, saying, what, what, I'm going to give you COVID-19? Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a chance, sure. And they were really annoyed. And then when Jacqueline and, you know, whoever was, was with her would walk by them, they would say things like, oh, did you get COVID-19 yet? Yet that's the wrong attitude to have in all of this. And in a day that has been full of exhibits for things, let me present exhibit C or D. I'm not sure which we're on right now. And that exhibit is anyone who has ever had COVID-19. They will tell you, you don't want it. So if you're sitting on a beach and you're putting your cooler too close to somebody and they're saying, hey, you're making me feel uncomfortable, could you please back that off a little bit? It's a beach, there's some room, and they get all upset and they start, you know, knocking you for asking them and saying things like, oh, did you get COVID-19 yet? Then you need to provide them with exhibit C or D here, someone who's had COVID-19, someone who has a loved one who has been in the hospital. Someone who has feared they had COVID-19 and had to wait 14 days wondering if they were going to get symptoms. Someone who has tested positive who then has to wonder, am I going to die? Is my breathing getting bad enough that I have to go to the hospital? So, you know, that kind of thing can go on. At the same time, we're trying to open up areas so that everyone can enjoy them. And a great example of how this has been handled with safety in mind, going completely against some of the things that have happened in the state of Florida, is Sobble Beach. Because their beach opened up, 
they took a look at what was happening, and they decided, you know what? We've got to make a change here. And as of last night, they've made another change. So to kind of go through the entire story and what has happened, we are very lucky to be able to welcome the mayor of Sobble Beach, Janice Jackson, to London Live. Mayor Jackson, thank you so much for your time today. Hey, I'm happy to be with you. Well, why don't we go back in time? Why don't we go back to kind of a couple of weeks ago, right around June 23rd, and what was happening? Because Sobble Beach is a beautiful area. Anyone who has never been there, please, please, when it is safe, and if you handle it safely, please find a way to go and visit Sobble Beach. But you decided, hey, the beach is going to be open, and as it opened, what did you see? Well, it was interesting because the uh, medical officer of health did close the beach around the Victoria Day weekend, and he kept it closed for about two weeks. So when uh, when he lifted that order, council decided that we would open the beach in a phased-in uh, process, just like the, the province. And so we, um, we implemented a walkthrough only uh, purpose for the beach. Our beach is so narrow right now that uh, we've lost probably 30 to 40 percent of the beach to high waters. There's no beach at all. And of the uh, the remaining uh, beach, it's about five feet wide um, on average. So we have very, very little beach and we typically get, you know, 60 to 80,000 people come up on, on a long weekend. So uh, leading up to the uh, the Canada Day weekend, we had a two-week trial to see if people would abide by, um, you know, all the COVID regulations along with our town bylaws. Um, but for two weekends in a row, it was just a total mess, and people were not uh, adhering to any of these COVID restrictions. So we shut the beach down. Yeah, and how tough a decision was that to make? <laughs> it was the hardest decision. I've been working for the people for a decade now, for 10 years, and I've never had to uh, to face such a challenging uh, situation. And the decisions that we're making almost on a daily basis to try and stay ahead of this pandemic. And it's, you know, it, it's very, very challenging. And, uh, I, you know, haven't slept a whole lot since it started and my hair's getting grayer. But, uh, um, but, you know, health and safety of our community is paramount. That's the number one concern for us. Um, and so at council meeting yesterday, because we didn't want to keep the beach uh, closed indefinitely, we wanted to try and find a way to open it up safely for our community. And uh, so we had a council meeting yesterday. I called a special meeting, invited our medical officer of health, Dr. Ian Era, and he spoke to council. Uh, we were there for three hours, and he basically explained that uh, he has everything under control here in our region. And he has no concerns at all for the spread of uh, of COVID. And uh, if we were going to get into a jam, he'd know it very quickly and notify us. And uh, and so, you know, when you hear from from the uh, the head medical officer that uh, everything's hunky dory, uh, council honestly had no other choice but to say, okay, um, we'll give it another shot and we'll open it up, and we'll try and uh, put some added measures in place for extra security. The mayor of Sable Beach, Janice Jackson, joining us. Mayor Jackson, what might some of those additions be for now going hopefully forward forever? Well, we're going to put out a lot of uh, very pointed messaging. Uh, the doctor has offered... Um, Tons of masks, thousands of uh, of masks for anybody that wants to uh, to have them on the beach. Um, also, we've reached out to the OPP to get pay duty police officers. Hopefully, we'll be able to secure them. That's if they want to work on a weekend off. Um, but we're certainly reaching out to them to uh, to hire as many as we can possibly get. Um, and so, really, I think with messaging and uh, and and 
added enforcement, we're hoping that we're going to make it through this weekend, uh, you know, without too many incidents. If we don't, though, if we have a problem in the next couple of weeks, we will absolutely shut down for the civic holiday weekend. Well, I mean, that's that's good to know, and, and I love the example that you are setting. Here's what you've got to do. This, this is a privilege. I mean, we have so many things in our lives that we would take for granted as just being a thing we got to do, not necessarily a privilege. Just, hey, right. I, I should be able to do that. And I think this really helps to set that we're lucky to be able to do a lot of the things that we're able to do. We're lucky to be able to go onto a beach and hang out in the sunshine in a beautiful spot in the world. And I think we've got to remember that that a few more times than than maybe we do. One of the suggestions had been that with the GTA at that point, the greater Toronto area still being in phase one, that it's a hop, step, and a a drive to get themselves in any direction, and that that maybe you had people who were from outside the area. You illustrate a lot of people do come from outside the area to go to Sobel, but in terms of, of maybe Toronto adding to that, now that they're into a different phase, how much of a concern is that for now? Well, I mean, it's always a concern. I mean, we love our visitors. Tourism is our number one thing, you know, but but we're also very aware of, uh, you know, the numbers in the city versus the numbers that we have up here in Bruce County. And so, of course, that is a, a concern of ours. And uh, um, But, you know, all we can do is... Uh, Try to put as many measures in place as we can, and try to try to convince people that look, you've just got to respect our beautiful community. You've got to respect our, you know, each other, um, and and hopefully we'll have the beach open for the rest of the summer, and and everybody can enjoy it because it is. You're right, it's stunning up here, and we are so lucky to have this in our province and for us in our backyard. So what do you want to see people staying away from doing, Mayor Jackson? If there were some things that were happening before that can't be happening again, what are those things? Well, basically, it's the provincial guidelines for COVID. So it's, you know, social distancing and also not gathering in any more than a group of 10. And those things were not happening. We were getting large groups of 20 and 30, and they were on top of each other. And because our beach is so narrow, it just takes somebody to, you know, spread out all of their paraphernalia. Um, and they blocked the beach completely. People can't pass through. Like, I think, I think the one thing that I can't emphasize strongly enough is the fact that our beach is five to 10 feet wide. That's it. Normally it's a size of a football field. Um, but last year it was high. This year it's incredibly high and we have very, very little beach for you to spread out on. And, uh, and so it is going to be challenging to maintain those, uh, you know, those social distancing guidelines, but, uh, but we have to do it. I mean, this is a pandemic and we can't, we can't take it lightly. We, we've done a great job up here keeping it uh, at bay, and, and we've just got to continue. Mayor Jackson, great job keeping things the way that they have been. And I think, again, this needs to be an example for anybody. There is a way to do it. If you're not willing to do it, then it gets shut down. Sorry. Light gets turned off. We can try again. And good luck in trying again. We really appreciate the time. Stay safe. Thank you. Anytime. That is Mayor Janice Jackson, Mayor of Sobel Beach. You know, and that's the kind of thing that I don't think is taken seriously enough. And we've got a lot of politicians who will try and please everybody. Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida, that's, that's probably what he was doing. I don't find him an incredibly bright individual to begin with, but that's probably what he was doing at the outset. Let, let's please as many people as we can, especially the president. Um, but you look at a lot of politicians, they want to make sure that they keep people in their corner. That's just 
how you keep your job. And that's a problem with politics. That's a problem with democracy. The fact that you have to worry about getting reelected instead of making the right decision. Whereas, when you look right now, I mean, take that example that we just heard from Mayor Janice Jackson. Name anyone else who could run against her. And we don't know any of the other policies or anything like that. I'm just trying to make a point. When you hear what she is willing to do and how she's willing to handle things, she'd be first on my list to vote for because of that attitude. I know you're going to take charge. You're going to do the right thing even if people hate it because it's the right thing. Because there are a lot of people at Sobble Beach going, hey, you know, this, this is no good. I mean, but we're going to set an example. If you can't follow it, we're going to close things down again. We're going to give you another shot. If you can follow it, great. If you can't, we got to close it down again. That's going to keep you in power as a politician. Doing what is right. Making the tough choices. That's the kind of person you want. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.